Hey all this is Sean Gerber. Thanks for listening today. But before we get started, I have some great news for my listening audience. I'm getting ready to launch my brand new site, CISSPCybertraining.com, here on March 1st, 2023, and it is going to be awesome. There is a new website being developed right now, and it will make your journey so much easier to get the information you need to help you pass the CISSP exam. As a result, I'll be offering a one-time, never-to-return price. Get it, a one-time, never-to-return price for my membership that's going to be incredibly valuable to anyone who signs up. I will only be offering this extremely valuable pricing one time. That's it, not anymore. So if you're planning on taking the CISSP exam in 2023, this will be the time to make a life and career-altering decision for you and your family. So stay tuned. You will not be sorry that you did. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Reduce Cyber Risk and CISSP Training Podcast, where we provide you the training and tools you need to pass the CISSP exam the first time. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to pass the CISSP exam and grow your cybersecurity knowledge. All right, let's get started. Hey all, Sean Gerber again with Reduce Cyber Risk. I hope you all are doing wonderful this week. I know I am. I'm actually quite exhausted. We, my wife decided to start up a business and we are, I've been working that the past couple of weeks and it has been a bit of a drain. But other than that, life is good. We're doing shaved ice. And so if you're not from around the United States, maybe you don't have that in your part of the world. It's a awesome opportunity and uh, it's keeping my wife and myself very very busy so hence that was a little bit of the reason why we had a delay from last week as i was getting some things lined up for her but other than that things are great and we couldn't beat it it couldn't ask for anything better as far as how things are going on in my life so i just Yay, life's good. So as we're moving forward with the CISSP, there's some great things that have been occurring in the world of cybersecurity. And as if you haven't seen it, there was actually the talked about, I just saw an article recently about Google mentioning the 18 gazillion billion accounts that have been breached. And they actually recommend that you go to see if your account was one of those lucky ones that have been breached. And I actually, I haven't had a chance to even look, but let's just assume if it's like a billion, yeah, they've probably all been breached. They've all been compromised. So you probably want to go and check that out. My recommendation on all of this is make sure that you guys and promote it as a CISSP and as a security professional, the, the use of password vaults. They are very important and along with the lines of it does allow you to add complexity with your password. So I do highly recommend that you utilize those and you promote those in some form or fashion. However, it is important that as you do that, you talk to people about password management and to make sure that they just don't copy and repeat place and put them in a vault because it's great they're in a vault but if they're all the same password yeah that doesn't really help you a whole lot so make sure that you talk to in people that you are in contact with to make sure that they one check it out and two work on putting their passwords and sensitive information into a password vault that and also kind of goes along the lines of making sure that they uh, understand what they're doing because again this is we, I've seen it so much. I talked to actually a gentleman last week and he made the comment to me that there, 
he goes, I, well, I don't really do much with my passwords. It's all the same password. And I'm just like, holy cow. And th- this is just, it was a guy at a golf tournament that I talked to. And he's an older gentleman, so it's kind of understandable. But until passwords get replaced with something that is much more solid and secure, you're going to have to help teach people how to, how to manage those. So just, just keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, I've got some great topics today in our CISSP, and there's some, as it relates to the uh, domain one of security risk management, we've also got to be talking about the CISSP exam changes. Now, this is from 2018, so it's a little bit dated as far as what it was before in the past, but I still think it's important for you to understand where we came from as it relates to the CISSP exam. Also, we're going to talk about domain one, and it's going to be section 1.4, cybercrime and data breaches. And uh, this is going to be kind of apropos as it relates to dealing with the various breaches that have occurred in recent days. And actually, I saw the one just recently as the recording of this podcast. There was over 20 local municipalities in the state of Texas, which if any of you are aware, Texas is a monstrous state here in the United States, but it is huge. But there's 20 municipalities that have had ransomware attacks that they feel are based on a targeted approach. And honestly, it doesn't surprise me in the least bit because, you know, working these municip- municipalities, these small state and local governments, what ends up happening is, is they don't have cybersecurity professionals to help them with their protecting their environment. So it's kind of a scary thing for these places. And if they're hitting the United States, they're going to be hitting other countries too. That, and they probably already have. It's just not hitting the news wire that I see. So there's something to consider. As you are listening and studying for your CISSP, there is a great opportunity for you to help make some change and help uh, people protect their environments. And then also we'll be going over the CISSP exam questions for this week as they relate to domain one. Migrating away from ReduceCyberRisk.com as far as from my website to my actual name as I'm putting out more information that as it relates to the CISSP exam, it's just a better flow. We will always keep Reduce Cyber Risk and Reduce Cyber Risk podcast, learn and get ready prepared for the CISSP exam as that's the most important thing we want to try to help you with. Okay, so as it relates to the CISSP integration, and what are we going to talk about today? The reference is going to be global knowledge and this site put out um, and basically an objectives around all the domains that are there. And they put out some information when it relates to the overall taking the CISSP exam. And and so again, there's some great study tips in here in this in this post. And we'll kind of have all that posted in the show notes. But let's go ahead and get started and kind of cover some key topics that they mentioned about the 2018 CISSP exam changes. Okay, so you're looking at different considerations around the 2018 CISSP exam. There, you're, there's some interesting things that occurred in the last test. And this was, again, last year when this all occurred. And they do these ch- changes on the CISSP exam about every two years. So the next revision should be expected sometime next year. That's that's what they're saying. We'll, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition or not. It may, I, I don't know. But right now, the, the next ex- revision to it will be 20, uh, t- will be 2020. Now, the most revisions, the, the, the revisions that occurred in this one were actually pretty modest, but it would, did have a step change how they did do a change in the testing process. So the revisions were small, but the testing process was new and different. And what they did do is it's that they made it a little bit harder. And they actually allowed you to have more questions around domain, the, all the, 
the domains. And in the past, it didn't have it. It didn't have as equal of a distribution around the eight domains. And now they did a work pretty hard to do that. And if you go to ISC squared, where you can check out the CISSP exam as far as what their objectives are and so forth, the the key aspect around that is they break it into a percentage, and it's anywhere from thirteen percent to fifteen percent of the test questions will come from each of the domains. And so the question around that is, is that it's pretty easily disparate or attributed through that area, which makes it much easier. I shouldn't say much easier to take the test, but it makes a much better testing uh, solution. So you're not focused all on domain three, which is a monster, and whereas domain four is pretty light. They're actually asked a lot of questions around all of the domains. So if you're studying for the test, you can't really game it and say, well, I'm just going to study for domain three because it's such a monster, and I will kind of just not worry about domain four because there's not much in it. That That's not true. Though. So they'll get you on that. Okay, so some of the domain topic changes. So now there's a certification exam outline that you can go check out, and it's basically was formerly was called the Candidate Information Bulletin or CIB, and then it's now called the Certification Exam Outline. There's also some domain name changes that did occur. So it used to be called Security Engineering, and now it's Security Architecture and Engineering. And working as a CISSP and as a CISO for a large company, architecture is extremely important, as I deal with that on a daily basis when you're dealing with the the engineering pieces of it. How is it all engineered with the uh, security models or the security operations center versus also how you're dealing with the architecture around it itself. They also went and changed the add the acronym IAM for identity and access management, typically because you see IAM a lot. And in many cases, they don't spell out the full identity and access management just because it is so long. But what they do is do the do do you know that, that really didn't make a whole lot of sense but what they do accomplish is is that they put the acronym of iam in place and so that's that's kind of an interesting piece of that now i will set, tell you this as far as the exam goes the the ultimate exam is to trick you i mean that's what it is it's to make sure you understand exactly what the heck you're reading and that you actually know what you're taking from a test standpoint and so what I can see is a possible scenario on the test, which you've, if you've taken it, you probably have seen this already, is that they will use IAM with it as basically, they'll, they'll use that as a synonym. And then what they may do is they'll switch it around and change instead of seeing IAM, they'll say identity and acceleration management. I don't know, but they'll, they'll basically let you trick you into thinking that, Hey, IAM is this, but they'll change the words of the actual acronym in the test question to, to make sure that you are actually picking out the right, right answer, not just the one that you're globbing onto and you see it, and you go. So uh, make sure you read all the question and you go through it word by word because they will, they'll trick you on these things and focus you on an area that actually doesn't exist. But again, this was only cosmetic. That really didn't change any of the content other than the fact that it added IAM as a acronym. Now, there are some new tap topics that came into play. And one was around, there's more than, a, more than one I'm going to tell you right now. There's many, many more. But I'll just give you a couple that I thought were very interesting as it relates to the CISSP. 1.3.1 and 1.4.1. Now, 1.3.1 is a contractual, legal, and industrial standards and regulatory requirement. So now you're getting a, a much deeper dive into the legal industry and regulatory requirements around the CISSP. And th this is very good because the simple fact is I deal with this 
daily as well, at least weekly. There was a situation just this last week where China came back in, made some changes to some draft regulations, and I had to understand what were they making the changes to, working with legal counsel on how to actually do that and what, how does that affect us. And so those are important for you as a CISSP or person studying to be a CISSP to understand these legal requirements around it. And honestly, it does seem daunting at times because you got to know so much, but that is the fun about the job is that there is always opportunities for you to learn and and grow. So that's a cool part about that. The other one is 1.4.1 is the cyber crimes and data breaches. And they now go into the details around these. Uh, as we know, we're dealing with these on a daily basis. So they're kind of talking about the different topics around those aspects. Have a friend that just got a, on as a, a forensics person on the East Coast. And this individual is now going to be working with the state and local agencies on areas around children, which is really a tough one because dealing with what you got to see with some of these poor kids and what they have to go through. But it's a great opportunity for her in that she's able to to get her foot in the door into the cybersecurity world. And a lot of times as you that are studying for your CISSP and trying to find jobs online or out there in the world, there are plenty of jobs available. The first, the hardest part sometimes in many cases is your break, break into job of just trying to find a way to get into that world. Because once you get into it, then it makes, then the migration can happen much quicker of where you need to go because there's so many opportunities, but it's getting in that first job can be tough. So you need to keep your in mind and, and keep an open mind around how you can break into that, that, those roles. And we'll talk about that a little bit about what you should do from a, a resume standpoint and understanding how you should interview as well. Well, now they made the change that CISSP exam adopted the CBT method through Pearson View, or Person View, P, not Person, it's Pearson, Pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, View, Person. If you're from the South, it's Parson View. So something along those lines, but it's, it's basically, that's where your CISSP is. They, they focus on the CBT model. Now they retain the question count around 250 questions. That's what they had back in 2015. And as they migrated to 2018, they converted to the adaptive testing, which was the CISSP computer adaptive testing or otherwise known as CAT. The questions then changed from 250 to 150 questions. So you got it easy, right? Went from 250, which is like when I had to take it, it was like 8 million questions. I oh, know it was probably only 250, but it was, it was a lot. And you just did the bubble sheet, but now they went to 150. So great. Awesome. But yeah, not so much unless you really understand this test. If you don't know the test, then these 150 questions give you less opportunity to screw up. So the questions are 100 to 150 questions. And the first 100 questions, 75, 75 of them are graded and count towards your score. And as they move forward in this, what it basically tells you is that if you get to question 100, if you've done poorly on those first 75 questions, once you get to question 100, you're done, baby. You are done. No more. If you have 75, or if you have 95% that you will, that you've been looking like you'll pass the test, they'll keep asking you questions. And it's a stair step approach till you get to that point. And there's a hundred to, they'll do a 101, 102, and so forth until they feel like you've passed or not. So what you want to do is do not skip a question. It is so much better to guess than it is to skip a question because once you skip it, you can't go back to it. And then what ends up happening is, is that will grade you, grade upon you and cause you some, some grief. So. The purpose of it, though, was to decrease the fraud. There was a tester impersonations that were occurring, and there was stealing of test bank questions. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Honestly, I was 
I was shocked that this was occurring. I mean, I guess it's my naivete that I thought that this would be happening, but people were actually doing it. And it's because the requirement for a CISSP is so high. The challenge is, is then that just really hurts the whole overall group because now you've got these people that have just basically lied to take the test, to pass the test, just so that they can get the job. And what's going to happen is you're actually hurting yourself and you're hurting your organization that you're going to work for because you don't really, and I don't say that just taking a test is what is what's important. It's not. But what it does is it proves the fact that the people that do that don't have integrity to begin with. So it will cause some challenges. And so I do not recommend take the test, study for the test, pass the test, pass it the first time so you don't do like I did, but at least you need to study for the test. Now, some other exam tips that they brought out there was that use the same level of depth and complexity that you saw in previous tests. And ISC squared states that the CISSP CAT, which is that the adaptive testing is the same as a previous exam. It's just added it to, to either rather than wait, waste your time and ISC squares time to, if you just didn't study it, to get you out the door and be done with it. So that's a, that's an interesting part about that. Now, the past exam, past gurus uh, would say that you could skip domains. You know, like again, like domain four doesn't have many questions, so you could skip it and move on. Don't do that. You don't. You want to make sure you take all of the tests and you study for all of the tests. It's imperative that you do, that you understand this information because one, it's bright to date. That way you can take the, pass the test, but two, it's only going to help you. Again, I deal with this stuff daily. And if you don't understand it, and which I'll be honest, I didn't always understand when I took the test what the heck it meant. But at least I knew from looking at it and reading the information where I could go back and reference it during my daily activities. So basically, as you do the math around all this, is that there's right now over 125,000 CISSP jobs that are open worldwide. And they, they do have some of the highest salary ranges in IT as far as from a CISSP standpoint. I would say mine's not at the highest range, but they are substantially higher than what you'll see as a standard security analyst and so forth. They're widely recognized as what is needed for cybersecurity experts to move on to the next phase. So highly recommend that you get your CISSP. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are studying for it. But it's imperative that you do it the right way so that you can pass a test the first time and move on. Okay, so let's move into the CISSP training. Now we're talking 1.4, Cybercrime and Data Breaches, and this is part of Domain 1. Now, as you're studying to, for the CISSP, there are some different aspects around categories of law. And law is an important part because as a CISSP, you'll be dealing with the law on a routine basis as you're dealing with from regulations that occur around the globe to just the fact that if you have some knucklehead that decides to steal stuff and now you have to go deal with the uh, the whole incident response and then you have to go through legal hold and then you have to go through all of that aspect to do an investigation on this situation. So you will deal with law routinely. And so the first one we're going to get into is criminal law. And the purpose of a criminal law is to preserve the peace and keep society safe. And this comes right down to murder, assault, robbery, arson, all of those. Now, these are based on how the U.S. has set up their law system, and it may be different in the country that you are at. But in reality, they're not too far off because people are people and people do crimes. And so the but as far as the test is concerned, these are the main things that people are going to. This is what the ISC squared test is going to focus on. 
Again, murder, assault, robbery, and arson. Penalties will be for anywhere from as little as community service, which means working in your community to pick up trash, to the death penalty. Yeah, that's a quite the range of things. And then now in computer crime is included in this. You'll see a lot of this where people will take pictures and utilize the electronic media, especially as it relates to children, and that will get you in a world of hurt real quick. One, it ain't right. And two, it's going to send you to prison with people that don't like people that are like you. And so, therefore, it's imperative that you you find this stuff out, you hunt it down, and you basically put these people behind bars. And so that's the purpose of criminal law. Civil law is the bulk of the body of law. And that's where most of the laws come from is the civil. And that deals with the things that occur within your environment, such as speeding tickets, not paying a permit or a fine. Actually, that's more of administrative law. But there are different things that are out there to basically designed to provide orderly society. So if you didn't have speeding tickets or you didn't have, like I got one a while back that I failed to stop at a stop sign and just basically rolled through it. Well, I got a I got a ticket on that. And because if it ha if that was the case, then everybody would be doing it and orderly society would start falling apart. It does follow the same process as criminal law, but the difference is what they call enforcement. So in the fact that you are enforced in a way that law enforcement is not used in civil law. So what you'll see in many cases, let's just say I'm a bad guy, okay? And I go and I hit somebody with my car and I kill them. Okay, so that would fall under criminal law and I'd just get nailed for doing that, right? That would be bad. And so then what would happen is once that's done, then the family that I ended up hurting, the person that I ended up killing, would come after me in a civil lawsuit or civil law case. Law enforcement's not involved because they're focused on criminal law. However, that would be they would come after me that way. And the purpose of that would be in fines in other ways that they would take my money or other aspects around my assets and so forth. But the government plays an administrative or arbitrator arbitrator role in the civil law. Administrative law is empowered by the executive branch of the government and different agencies that are involved. And it can basically, it has a wide range of acts around that. It's basic, the regulatory requirements to enforcing, like in the case of the United States, it'd be immigration. That would be an administrative law. So those are the different aspects that are in place. Your criminal, civil, and administrative law. Now, Again, you're going to get basic knowledge through the course on legal aspects, but it really is imperative that you do have some legal counsel involved in all matters of protecting your network and as well as CISSP. So what I would recommend is you get to know your legal counsel. It will be important. And now that your legal person may not understand why they want to get to know this security guy, but as you educate them, they'll learn real quick that, yeah, it's probably a good idea. So get to know your legal counsel. They'll be your best friend in many cases. Okay, cybercrime and data breaches. Now, computer crime is basically expanding into many aspects and many areas of life. And as we deal with more of these networks that are in the IoT space, your Internet of Things, it's going to be more and more prevalent within your environment. And many of these old laws are finally starting to be updated. And in some cases, states are actually implementing new laws to deal with this increased cybersecurity risk that they see. But again, these don't always pertain, these old laws especially do not always pertain to the new world. There's the uh, old telegraph law, I think in the United States, there was a telecommunications law that used to be set up on the telegraph, uh, which was back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, actually it was even back before the telegraph was around in the eight, middle 1800s. And so the the whole purpose of, purpose of that, not 
poipas. It's not a poipas. What the heck is that word? That's, eh. Anyway, the purpose of that was, was because that was what they dealt with. And the technology change was relatively slow as it relates to telecommunications. But as we see today, telecommunications is changing at a breakneck speed. So therefore, they, the, the laws just aren't keeping up. So keep that in back of your mind. Now, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, this was put out. It's called the CFAA. And that was the first major piece of cybercrime legislation that was put out. And it was part of the Comprehensive Crime Control Act, or the CCCA, Triple C-A. And it, is, it was designed not to infringe on state rights. Now, in the United States, state rights are very important. The United States is a, is a conglomeration of multiple states. And these states all connect, or all federated together pretty tightly into the federal government. And some key examples around this are access to classified and financial information, modify medical records, traffic in computer passwords, and cause malicious damage to federal computer systems. All of this was part of the Triple C A, and which is all the Computer Fraud Abuse Act was part of this Triple C A. Now some amendments had been occurred since then that outlaw the creation of malicious code. So if you create code and you do that in a poor way, in a way that wants to be used to hurt people or hurt things, that will get you'll get nailed under the CFAA. Any computer affecting interstate commerce, so if you're doing electronic wire transfers between states, electronic fund transfers, and you start impeding that and affecting that, you will get nailed. And here's the other thing to keep in mind that you need to just understand as a CISSP. You start messing with people's personal data and people's money, people are going to jail and they are not going to mess with it if they catch you. Again, that's the key, big thing there is if they catch you. I was telling a friend of mine that one, uh, it, it's it's so, we were talking about BECs, which was business email compromises and how easy these are becoming. And a guy could make a gazillion dollars doing doing fraudulent activities using the BECs. And you think about that and go, well, one, it is integrity. It isn't right. It's not morally right. You shouldn't be doing it. Two is, is I really like my ability to have freedom where I can move around and uh, you go do stuff like that. Yeah. You're going to be stuck in a little tiny country that has no extradition to the United States and you'll be breaking big rocks into little rocks. So it's like, yeah, the downsides just ain't worth it. Just not worth the, the money being that you could potentially make, but it's crazy how much money that these gams are affecting people. Uh, the FBI just put out that these business email compromises are in 2018 accounted for $1.2 billion in theft. That's a huge, and they're expecting this year it's going to be over three times that amount. So it's just crazy. Sorry to digress. All right, the National Information Infrastructure Protection Act. So this is NIIPA of 1996. Now, this is an amendment to the CFAA, and it was designed to broaden the international commerce aspects of it. And it was also to affect the national infrastructure, which we deal with, our critical infrastructure within the United States. It was designed to deal with that. It treats, it treats intentional and accidental damage to critical infrastructure as a felony. So now that's the interesting part around that is the accidental damage. What they're going to have to build a case around why it would be a felony and why you'd get nailed for it. But at the end of the day, the goals are trying to put a big enough hammer on this that if you do something through neglect, you know, so, you know, accidentally you didn't do something you should have done. You left a port open and it was hacked. They're going to come after you and they're going to force you to go, you know, so now you could be dealing with a felony situation just because you didn't do your job the right way. So those are important aspects for people to keep under consideration. So we're dealing with the Federal Information Management Act, FISMA. This also requires a 
government agencies to have a security program in place. And you'll be hearing this. That's part of the reason why people have globbed onto the CISSP is having a security program in place. Now, NIST will provide guidelines for you around this. And if you are studying for a CISP and you are looking to put a security program in place, NIST does have National Institute of Standards and Technology does have guidelines to help you with that. Now, I will tell you from that standpoint, if you follow that verbatim, you will have a kick butt program. It will be amazing. Is it reality? Uh, yeah, maybe not so much. It just depends, right? So if you get into an organization that really has never had cybersecurity and now you are the person, the male or the female that's going to make this happen. And what ends up happening is you're going to come back with all these great recommendations from NIST and they're going to go, yeah, no, talk to the hand. We don't want you to do that because they've never dealt with it before. So you're going to have to build relationships and build a basically a tribe, somebody that's going to follow you, that's going to understand your security posture and what you're trying to accomplish. So it's imperative that you do that. Don't just come out and I'll tell you guys, do not do that, guys and gals. Do not when you become your CISSP, don't start throwing around all these security program stuff towards people. You need to work people into it because if you don't, you will burn a lot of bridges and people will not want to work with you. So just that's a little piece of tidbit of information for you on that one. It does it provide some key points, periodic risk assessments, policies, procedures based on risk assessments, subordinate plans for providing those, and then security awareness training. So it provides the outline, the shell of what you need to be keep in mind as you are moving down this area. The other one is the Federal Information Security Modernization Act of 2014. Okay, so this one is it modernized the federal government's cybersecurity posture. And it is confused regularly with the 2002 FISMA. It is required by the federal agency to develop, document, and implement information security programs. So it's just, it's enhancing what they've learned over the years and has brought to the attention basically higher of cybersecurity and how the government is going to act on that. The other thing it focuses on is a risk-based policy for cost-effective security. And that's what you think you're going to have to look at as a CISSP is what is your risk-based approach to dealing with this? OMB provides annual reviews and money spent and it replaced the FISMA in 2014. Now, they also centralized the federal cybersecurity with Department of Homeland Security, and it's basically dealt with defense-related cybersecurity issues now report to the Secretary of Defense. Intelligence-related cybersecurity deals with the DNI, which is the Director of National Intelligence. And then now in 2018, President Trump signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act, which is the CISA, C-I-S-A. And it's designed to build a national capacity to defend against cyber attacks. And it's a big deal. It really is as far as how cyber is getting more and more involved within the government and within state and local agencies and business. It's designed to cyber to design cyber tools for federal agencies and along with incident response services to with those as well. So the bottom line is it's to help fix some of the issues of this fast-paced, breakneck speed cybersecurity growth that's occurring. It's also the to protect critical infrastructure, and you'll deal with those as you deal with, as you move in your career on your CISSP, you will deal with critical infrastructure in some form, shape, or another. It may not be the infrastructure for your country or your war or your local area, but when you deal with businesses, they do have their own level of critical infrastructure. The company I work with right now deals pretty strongly with chemical industry, and so that is considered a industry that is not necessarily, part of it is in the critical infrastructure. It's a little vague in some places there, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to deal with the federal regulations. Now, NIST has some standards around publications on this. You have the NIST 853, which is your security and privacy controls for federal information systems and organizations. And then you have the 
SP-800-171, which is protecting unclassified information in non-federal information systems and organizations. Okay, that's a mouthful. Bottom line is, is that most systems out there are unclassified. You have classified and your classified networks. They're unclassified, but it's a great way for you to understand how you should protect your environment because it's unclassified. Now, if you have intellectual property, you may consider that a, a top secret recipe, you know, your 11 herbs and spices that makes your business run. That is maybe something you want to consider as a classified network and then add levels of security to that. Another one to consider is the NIST cybersecurity framework that's available for you to use as a guideline and a template to understand what you need to do from a cybersecurity standpoint. Now, there, there, one last little caveat I want to add to this is cybersecurity legislation and how it's affecting the different states. The purpose of this is improving the government security practices, and that's one of the legislations that's in place that you'll see now in states, in the United States at least, individual, or it could be in your province where you're at you know, around the globe, but they're indiv- putting individual practices in place in those various states in the United States because I've seen it in South Carolina, California, Massachusetts, because the federal government can put some things in, but the local governments, they're, they're their own governmental agencies. They need to have something in place to protect them as well. So that's improving the government security practices, providing funding for cybersecurity programs and initiatives, and restricting public disclosure of sensitive government cybersecurity information. So that's what I have for the CISSP. So let's roll into just a few exam questions. All right. First one is, what is the Federal Information Security Modernization Act of 2014 responsible for accomplishing? Well, I'm going to say 1A, modernizing the federal government cybersecurity. Okay. B, it's part of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Act. C, combat cybercrime and create cybersecurity incident response processes. Or D, amended the CFAA. That's a mouthful of words there. Yeah. Okay. So what was the, what was the Federal Information Security Modernization Act of 2014 responsible for accomplishing? A, modernizing the federal government cybersecurity. B, part of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Act. C, combat cybercrime and create cybersecurity incident response. D, amend the CFAA. And the answer is A, modernizing the federal government cybersecurity act. All right, next question. What are the categories of law? Federal, civil, and administrative. B, civil, administrative, and criminal. C, local and civil and criminal. D, none of the above. Again, what are the categories of law? And as it relates to the United States and the CISSP exam. Federal, civil, and administrative. B, civil is administrative, criminal. Civil, administrative, and criminal. C is local, civil, and criminal. Or D, none of the above. And the answer is B, civil, administrative, and criminal. Those are a few questions. All right, that's all I have for today's podcast. I hope you guys had a wonderful time, and I hope you have a great week this coming week. Thanks so much for joining me today on my podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes, as I would greatly appreciate your feedback. Also, don't forget, on the 5th of March, head on over to CISSPCybertraining.com and sign up for my once-in-a-lifetime sales event as we launch our new endeavor. Thanks again for listening. See ya.
Thanks so much for listening today, as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to FreeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCyberTraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.